1: Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, sometimes I make disgusting wee films and other times I do a podcast. This sure year, do. And joining us tonight, he is the director of such films as The Queen of Hollywood Boulevard and the Frightfest 2018 selection Hell is Where the Home is. It's Mr. Arsen Oblowitz. Arsen, hello.
2: Hello, guys, how you doing? Very well. Yes, very well. And uh, and yourself? I'm good. I'm good. You know, just it's raining in LA, so it's a special day.
0: <laughs> and strangely uh, dry in Glasgow, which is uh, un- an unusual uh, swapping of
2: uh, precipitation. Yeah, they call it climate change. I guess <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, that's what that is. Orson, yeah. <laughs> um, you have turned the clock back to 1992. <laughs> Tonight. A great
2: time in the world.
1: Yeah, (laughs) agreed. A simpler time. And um yeah, your selection tonight, The Lawnmower Man. Tell us a little bit about why you chose it.
2: Oh, okay. Well about six months ago, I was um attached to do a movie which was kind of like a American psycho in the tech world and it went into a whole virtual reality like slasher film. Okay. And I had seen The Lawnmower Man when I was younger. It was actually a film that my parents loved, strangely enough. And I revisited, and I was like, you know, oh, there's all these bad reviews, and I rewatched it. I was like, this is absolutely genius and prescient of, you know, 25 years into the future of where we are today. I love it. I'm a, I'm a big fan.
1: Interesting. I mean, like, like I say, I mean, I, it was interesting for me. I watched this tonight for the first time, and I didn't have the context of an earlier watch or anything like that. So, um yeah, we're coming at it from two very different angles, I guess. <laughs>
2: yeah totally no i'm interested to see what it was like for your first experience
1: yeah um so before we get started orson i don't know if you've listened to the show before but there is something that we make everyone do at the start of this and basically it's for the benefit of anyone who is listening that hasn't seen the film which is a crazy thing to do particularly in this instance but um (laughs) uh, but some people will have done it so what we're going to do if you are ready is uh, Andy's going to put 30 seconds on the clock. I'm going to count you in, and we're going to be looking for your best 30-second synopsis of The Lawnmower Man. I'm ready. Okay, three,
2: two, one, go. The Lawnmower Man is a story of a uh, scientist played by Pierce Brosnan who's trying to push the limits of virtual reality and our connection to technology. And he takes on a uh, feeble-minded gardener at a church played by Jeff Fahey, and converts him into a super genius who somehow becomes a a, a part of the machine, and it, the film turns into a virtual reality slasher film. Time. of the mind.
0: That's so. that's pretty good. Not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, you did a lot better than uh, a lot of people I could mention.
2: <clears throat> a J Bowen. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> good job, A J Bowen. Good job, a. <laughs> <G. L. laughs> Um, right,
1: uh, so as we mentioned
2: just before we went on air, there are two cuts of this film. Um, yes, there are. There's the theatrical and the director's cut.
0: I think it's worth mentioning. I've seen this film lots of times. I was kind of there when it first came out, and I must have seen it maybe 93, 94 on video. This cut, the theatrical cut, is the only cut I've ever seen. I wasn't. I don't even think I was aware there was a director's cut until Austin suggested doing this film.
2: Yeah, I only found out, honestly, I had only seen the theatrical cut and then rewatching it for the show but with you guys, I picked up the director's cut and it was actually on Amazon here, it was the only one for rent. So I was <laughs> like, ah, let's see what this is about. And starts with a with a preface that, you know, this cut was made from two prints, one inner positive, one negative. So please don't mind the jarring jump cuts uh, throughout the movie as we cut from one negative to the other.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> interesting and uh is it super obvious oh it's very obvious
2: like <laughs> they're <laughs> it's like it's like different colored scenes and <laughs> the framing is different and it, it's 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 amazing i mean i love those blemishes in a film so
1: yeah, mm, yeah i think it can it can be kind of charming i think i'll
0: tell you what's not charming cure a curious fact um is that this was uh, cult leader david koresh's favorite film
2: No way. Yeah. That's amazing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So this film opens with um, a kind of title card talking about virtual reality and kind of uh, forecasting how it's going to kind of take over almost or kind of warning that kind of some people are viewing it as this kind of new, dangerous form of mind control. Uh, This feels very much of its time. I think like this is this, especially watching it for the first time. I think that like kind of like the inherent ridiculousness of this isn't the film's fault because it's 27 years old.
2: No, not at all. But I think that they were coming to terms with the rise of the internet at that time. And we're living with a little bit more of the consequences of it now. And it's funny, like, to think of how virtual reality has come back so much in today's world. Yeah. yeah. Um, You know, so they were... on. It shows that, you know, technology and entertainment is cyclical. That's how I feel a little bit about it.
0: I'd also like to say, um, looking at this film and the films that came out around about the same time, there was kind of three or four films of a very similar vein, like uh, Virtuosity and Johnny Mnemonic, and I'd say Arcade as well, all came out around about the same time. And I would actually say that consistently over the the kind of span of the film that the Lawnmower Man's the strongest of all of them.
2: Well, you know, Brett Leonard directed Virtuosity and Lawnmower Man.
0: Yeah. yeah,
2: Yeah. And I love Virtuosity. That was a film when I was like 10 years old, I loved. Actually, I knew someone who rented their house as a location in it. And I was like, that's so cool. You rented your house to Virtuosity. They were like, (laughs) what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) We get kind of uh, a, a really interesting introduction to Pierce Brosnan's character, Dr. Lawrence Larry Angelo, uh, here, as we see kind of uh, the consequences of um, a chimp being the subject of what seems to be an experiment that involves both virtual reality and intelligence-enhancing drugs or serum. Correct. Uh, I think you're speaking about Roscoe 1138.
0: There. <laughs> well, uh, I believe that that is true, yes. Larry Angelo's beloved pet chimp yeah I think there's that's something interesting there's a kind of interesting parallel I think to be drawn here between what uh, Roscoe1138 is doing in the film and the kind of argument around violent video games because he seems to be playing a first person shooter
2: he does he looks like he's playing a Call of you know the 1992 version of Call of Duty or something mm-hmm. and uh it transforms him into a homicidal chimp. <laughs> <laughs> With I Predator vision.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of cross between the Predator and the Terminator.
2: Like okay. the chimp version. Uh,
0: I don't think there's many things funnier than seeing that chimp and that Tron
2: suit and that
0: gyroscope.
2: Oh, it's amazing, and he's but and he's flying around in it. <laughs> it's it's great looking. I mean, uh, I I I remember
1: thinking actually again just as a first watch. This was before the credits hit, and I was like, this film is sold crazy
2: right out of the gate. <laughs> well, you know what you're into right away. Absolutely. Also, the, ce- the scene where the chimp gets killed is extremely violent. Like that is some serious chimp murder going on all of a
1: sudden (laughs) yeah it was although it's a retaliatory chimp murder seeing as uh the chimp picked the lock with wires and then also disarmed a guard and shot him in the head (laughs) (laughs)
2: so someone had to do something yeah no i mean you know Sorry, animal activists, but the chimp yes. had what was coming.
0: Yeah, and there is, this, this is borderline abuse pretty much from the first time you see the chimp. But at least it didn't go down the normal route of chimp attacks, which means they tend to chew off the face or eat the genitals. <laughs> I think, all things considered, I would rather be swiftly shot.
2: Yeah, gen- genital cannibalism is not something that... I would like to participate in personally, but it isn't something I would mind putting in a movie.
0: Yeah, I'm glad they went down the gun toting chimp road rather than the ball chewing chimp road. But you're right. <laughs> the
1: escape attempt is unsuccessful, and uh, Pierce Brosnan gets the call that every scientist dreads the your chimp is dead call.
2: <laughs> um, I also love how straight Pierce Brosnan plays it. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like his, you know, it, it, actors, they do replacements. So, I could only imagine what the replacement was for the chimp, like his son or his wife or his father, like, it, you know, to give him that sense of dread that he feels when he gets that phone call.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm also not convinced that Pierce has ever looked hotter than he does here with his little, his little <laughs> earring. And uh, immediately we're exposed to that famous hairy chest.
2: It's beautiful. It, it must be manicured to keep that same distinct hairline that he has and everything.
1: Oh, yeah, it's very crisp. Like, um, that that, that shit does not
2: happen on its own. <laughs> oh, no, no. There's a whole sort of Chia Pet grooming thing going on over there.
1: <laughs> there there's, there's some serious upkeep. Um, but, yeah, when he gets this call, I mean, he's understandably furious because not only is um, the chimp itself uh, dead, but also dying with it is five years of research. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And he's been betrayed by the military, which becomes a theme throughout the film and i think it's not something that you know i think we should you know it's a theme that we should look at as a the a filmmaker was trying to bring through the whole film which was you know government and the military they mess with science and this is what we get dead chimps on our hand
0: yeah <laughs> but uh, after exploding angrily as you would much as you rightly pointed out that's uh, five years of research down the toilet Larry's kind of put on hiatus. He's given some, I guess, well-deserved R and R after speaking to Dean Norris from Breaking Bad, who is comically villainous in this film.
1: Villainous. You to
2: gotta, you gotta love a good Dean Norris cameo. <laughs>
1: Yeah, i i th- I think that uh, I think Dean, Dean I mean, I was gonna say he's playing it just right. He's not. I don't think. I think he's uh, he's turning it up to eleven in a way that feels really jarring. But I really, I never didn't, I never didn't enjoy watching him in this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, neither. I was always waiting for him to come back because you know I enjoyed those those supervillain trope characters. Um, and also, I love Breaking Bad.
0: <laughs> I don't remember um, much about the sequel, Lawnmower Man, to Beyond Cyberspace. Mm-hmm. But does Dean Norris turn up in that? Does it? Do we know? Does he? Does he return triumphantly?
2: Uh, I'm not sure that we would have to check the internet for that. Yeah, um,
0: I'm not prepared to do that, uh, because <laughs>
1: because Job's in there somewhere.
2: Um, I'm do, Job I'm, is in there.
1: I'm going to do a little bit of background fact checking at some point uh, while we're doing this. But um, what I do think is funny about how Dean Norris appears in this film is that he is almost entirely at random, either in person or a giant head on a wall.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love the giant head on the wall because, again, that becomes the theme of the film, right? Yeah, very much so, yeah.
0: He's kind of hovering there half the time, like Zordon in Power Rangers.
2: <laughs> I, I think that uh, lawnmower man's graphics weren't even up to snuff with Power Rangers.
0: <laughs> just a quick word on the on the effects, by the way. Um, just some some more statistics for you, Mitch. I know you like uh, trivia corner. Cool sure do. Eight minutes of CG effects over the course of the film. Seven people. Eight months. Five hundred thousand dollars.
2: Wow. That's cheap compared to today's standards. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. Um, straight out of this, um, we meet Job for the first time, and um, <laughs> uh, I, want, I, uh, I want to get this out of the way now. Um, I want, like uh, the portrayal of a mental, mentally handicapped character in this film wouldn't necessarily stand up if you did this in twenty nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: uh, yeah. no, I don't think. It. I think Jeff Behe's, uh Approach was maybe a little um, generalized. A little. <laughs> uh, that's not a bad. That's
1: not a bad way of describing it. Yeah, I would say that's 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 true. I think a painting with like uh, fairly broad strokes. Yeah, I would one. say yeah. if you haven't seen it, it's part Simple Jack from Tropic
0: Thunder, uh, part Chucky, <laughs> um, visually part Chucky,
2: and part Harry from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> one of the first things that struck me when I when i rewatched the film was jeff fahey that he has eyeliner on the whole time i couldn't get over the the eyeliner that and i was like and there's this kind of like almost weird effeminate thing uh costume they have going on with him where it's like you know the simple jack um man of the church also maybe likes to put on a little eyeliner every now and then and a little blush on his cheeks Yes. I think there was some maybe some undertones of this film going on. Yeah, they certainly
0: they kind of have him. He's almost got like a like a doll like childish quality when he's uh, when he's simple job, I suppose, and he gets it gets much harder and sweaty looking as it kind of goes on <laughs> for him being um, I don't know what would what would you call him there like supercomputer job.
1: Yeah, that kind of thing, I think. But yeah, you're right. I think it kind of like it pulls away from this kind of because they do have him as being kind of like very ceramic and very wide eyed at this
2: point. Absolutely. And then, you know, the relationship to the priest is a whole other subtext of this film.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. So let's touch on that. So Job is the titular lawnmower man and he works for Jeffrey Lewis's character, uh, Terry McKean. Uh, Jeffrey Lewis here affecting a very bad Irish accent.
2: Um,
0: <laughs> now, as I understand it, Terry's brother is the, the reverend, yes. the, the local priest. Now, Job lives on the church property in a cabin, a shack, a shed. Yes.
2: And is abused frequently by the priest? What is he it- seems to be. I, but something I caught, and I don't know, if this was in the director's cut, and I don't know if it's in the original, okay. is that the, the reverend tells him, Tells us that Job actually owns the church. What? What? I know. He says Job was awarded the church at a young age.
1: That's right. not. That's oh. not in the theatrical.
2: Right. I, effort, yeah. If it was, so I'm there's start. This, There's a thing that, and I didn't realize it until last night. Job, I believe, in the other version of the film, the point is they're using him to keep control of the church. Right. So we got all these crazy oh. Catholic, you know, undertones going on in this whole film. That's wild. Yeah,
0: that's that's blown. That's not to me for a loop. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> um, so
2: Job's, Job's actually Father McKean's boss. In a way, yes. But that's why Father McKean uses these kind of uh, medieval practices on him. Like the great scene where he goes, you know, which instrument of Christ will we use today? And Job has to pick the, the belt that he's going to be whipped with. Yeah. You know, so he keeps the power over him.
0: Mm-hmm. That stuff's pretty dark. There's also, I don't know if it's just knowing what we know about the Catholic Church, but there's a very seedy overtone to it as well.
2: Oh, yeah, there's total, I mean, I I, I think there's a total undertone of, you know, what, we, what came to be exposed of the Catholic Church and the exposing the Catholic Church likes to do themselves. Uh, comes out in the film.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that I think that there's an undertone there. Although I think it's probably better that that is left as a kind of an
2: implication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if we jump to later in the film, when we last see the fa- the Reverend, the Father, he's partly naked. He's just in a, ro- a silk robe. Yeah. And it comes off. <laughs> it's wild. I was very taken aback by it rewatching last night. The Catholic sin and guilt and brutality you know i had you know? totally
0: forgotten that angle altogether i just remembered the stuff with jake the guy that works at the petrol station
2: oh yeah and, i mean
0: that's amazing yeah. come on
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the stuff with Marnie, the next door neighbor i didn't remember the stuff with a with
2: the priest at all yeah i even think in the director's cut there's more there actually definitely is because i saw you know the infamous jump cut happened <laughs> uh-huh, <yeah, yeah>, yeah. <laughs> in that scene where the whipping scene goes on longer than in the theatrical version. He was really Brett Leonard was obviously really trying to, you know, exemplify the violence of the Catholic priest. Yeah, like really hammer that home. No pun intended.
1: <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> Jesus. Uh, we see Larry not long after this, kind of um doing some kind of like uh, fairly what seems like a kind of relaxing VR experience in his home. I would say that the, d- the dissolution of Larry's relationship with his wife is very easy to telegraph in this film because right from the first time that we meet her when he wakes up in bed, she's kind of needling him instantly the minute he wakes up. And then the same thing here about kind of like his preoccupation with his work and so on. And uh, yeah, she doesn't hang around for long.
2: No, as soon as she's like, we were supposed to go to the city today, whatever city they're talking about, <laughs> who knows where this movie takes place. They, uh, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about, and she's out. You know? Yeah.
0: But the monkey loss is hitting him hard here, because he says things like, uh, I-, I can't be around people uh, right now, and uh, I'm going through a lot of
2: changes. He's really taking it <laughs> quite badly. I mean, when a man loves his monkey, he loves his monkey. I don't understand why we have to you know, treat him any different than anyone else. <laughs> yeah, Grief's grief, no matter which way you wrap it up. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. We get another kind of um, uh, an introduction to another kind of key character shortly after this. We double back to uh, Job, who is out actually mowing lawns. Doing um, his job. Yeah. I um, He has an interaction with uh, Peter Parkett. Peter Parkett. Yeah. <laughs> uh, played by Austin O'Brien
2: from Last Action Hero and My Girl 2. No way. Yeah. I didn't realize he was the kid from Last Action. Another great postmodern film. I, I'm a big fan of Last Action, you know. Oh, me too. I love it when they're in this oh god, when they're in um the seventh seal and Arnold is going through all the films. Oh, I love it. <laughs> um this is an
1: important one, I think, because it kind of seeds one of the characters who are to jump ahead are gonna eventually kind of feature in the kind of rampage that we see a little later, and that's uh, uh Peter's father, who is uh, a classic cinema bad guy from the second that we see him on screen, yeah. and for every second that he's on screen,
2: yeah, similar to Jake in that regard. Oh yeah, totally. I think he sees him in that, so that's why he has the uh, Job has kind of the hatred of him.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but like, he's um, but yeah, he kind of immediately. Well, I think I think we the very first thing that you see before we even meet those characters, I think that you see him actually hitting peter like abusing his son when uh larry looks out the window yeah. way back at the start and yeah it's a way more, it's way more on the nose here <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> qu- quite a bit yeah. um but yeah like again it's just kind of seeding kind of one of the bad guys
0: yeah and then we, we got a scene of pierce brosnan spending way too much time with a child and a guy with severe learning difficulties
2: yeah i was wondering when i first watched it i was like they're really putting a lot of trust in pierce brosnan the Recluse next door, whose best friend's a <laughs> chimp that got murdered in front of everyone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and he makes them play that, they're playing that kind of Tron like VR game which looks to me like the most vomit-inducing experience I've ever fucking
2: seen. Those <laughs> those tables that move, and they're like, ah, oh, fuck that. that... <laughs> yeah, you can miss me on that game. Whenever they were playing, I will never play it. Yeah, I'll set that one out as well.
0: Not only vomit-inducing, but dangerous. This guy's cobbled this shit together in his basement.
2: Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, you know, I'm just saying, the VR goggles he puts on them look just like the ones we're using today.
1: Yeah, do you hear that, Oculus? <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I think is funny here um because so Peter goes home and we've got Larry and Job in the basement and um Larry I think has been at some point he's been theorizing about whether or not he's going to take on um, a human subject you can kind of see the light bulb going on here yeah um and he kind of tests kind of Job's kind of aptitude by first making him play kind of like a simple match game which he can't do very well And then immediately the next level of difficulty is an incredibly elaborate and immersive first-person shooter.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's what, again, I mean, again, I think it has to do with the grief for the chimp. Because he's back, you know, this is something that I think was familiar to him in the chimp. They would play this first-person shooter, and then he became a psychopathic militant chimp, killing people. So maybe maybe that's what Pierce Brosnan wanted from the beginning. That was something I kind of questioned in the film was like, are we sure this wasn't Pierce Brosnan's plan from the beginning to have this guy kill the company that he hated as well? Whoa. Oh. Hang on a minute. Don't hate that for a theory. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is- adds a little more subtext. <laughs> yeah, coming in with a hot take, I like it.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but this is very much a scene of an entitled white man uh, taking advantage of a mentally challenged man and employing pretty nefarious uh, kind of measures in order to do that. It's an interpretation. It's
2: the whole, like- I agree. No, no, totally. It's it's like he is. He sees this man as a toy for him to play with, which everyone treats Job like, including the the priest who's playing with him, including the woman next door that oogles him without his shirt on. Yeah, you know <laughs> the people that bully him. He's a consequence of everyone's view on him. So I really think Pierce Brosnan is the real bad guy of this movie. He's certainly as bad as some of the people who are framed as bad guys in the film. A hundred percent. Like, I agree. Like, he's, you know, we have the the father of the child next door, but he's just a drunk father, you know? He's not on a, you know, he doesn't unleash terror on a global scale the way that Pierce Brosnan does.
1: Yeah, which could very well just be in the name of kind of petty retribution
2: exactly just because he's mad at the company that killed his fucking chimp <laughs> it all circles back to this chimp it does um the first experiment we see
1: on job is obviously traumatic for him but it is successful and that success is evidenced in um a really on-the-nose montage that i really enjoyed where you know the, the classic kind of team america every shot through show a little improvement montage <laughs> Um, you gotta
2: love those.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's great because I love the fact that you just you they specifically make a point of bringing back him absolutely killing it on the match game and killing it on the first person mm-hmm. shooter. Yeah, that's how you know he's <laughs> getting there. But as Jobs as Jobs mind expands, so the Pierce
0: Brosnan's muscles because you see while that's happening, Pierce Brosnan's working out. He's on the the cross trainer and stuff. Obviously, showing that he's now got some fire back in his belly. <laughs>
2: I love it. Yeah. No, he is. He's like doing the biceps and all this stuff and I'm like, "What yeah. are you doing with this young man and child in your fucking weird man cave, dude?" <laughs> like if I called if I called you right now and I was like, "Yo, my next-door neighbor, he's got a uh, mentally handicapped man and a child that's not his down there and he's shirt he's shirtless Doing bicep girls while they play video games. Someone's calling the cops.
0: It's not even while they play video games. He's got them strapped face down to these rocking
2: tables. Oh, no doubt. Again, Pierce Brosnan is a goddamn villain in this movie. That's fucking wild. <laughs> Straight off the back of this, the
1: first real, proper, concrete evidence that we see of uh, Larry, uh, not Larry, I apologize, Job how he's becoming kind of uh, sharper, more intelligent, and kind of just in general, like a little more sure of himself. We see him standing up to Father McKean.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally not allowing himself to be bullied anymore. Um, Yeah, he
2: catches the whip.
0: Catches the whip. He's had enough. This is the new job. He's buff. He wants new clothes, and he wants to
2: upgrade his shed. Yeah, and they should let him upgrade his shed, and they should stop whipping him. Yeah, agreed on (laughs) both kinds. It's, I don't think the guy's asking for that much. No, no, just back off. And it's also it's his it's
1: it's, it's his fucking property and proper and probably
2: his whip. <laughs> yeah, it probably is his whip. I mean, and that's the dark side of the whole thing, you know. <laughs> um. So, Larry goes
1: back to uh, work and kind of pitches what he's been doing, and uh, I think that like this is this is um pretty sinister in isolation as well where he basically explains the exact mechanics of what he's done, which, as you say, is kind of like opportunistically ensnared someone with kind of like of kind of fairly limited mental faculties into this. And now they're basically saying, get him in here. Let's like dial this up to 11. Let's get him into the lab and do the kind of real stuff.
2: Yeah. And, you know, he's he starts off trying to be this like moral savior of, you know, the chimp and everyone. But he's really—he knows what what's going to happen. He's seen the chimp's freaking death and what happened from his last experiment, so he knows where this is going. He knows right when he br- brings the research to the company to the director, which is the title of Dean Norris's character. Yeah that they're going to bring him in and they're going to turn him into a military killing machine. That's what they do. Why would they do it differently with a human, what they already did with a chimp?
1: Yeah, it is kind of surprising and it's jumping ahead a little bit, but later on when he kind of finds out that the people that are like the other guys who work in the lab have been kind of like uh, surreptitiously dozing uh, Job with uh, the latest of the kind of serum that made the chimp so kind of irrational and so angry. Yeah. Um, and he's so outraged by that, but that seems weird to me because I don't think that there's anything especially surprising
2: about that. Not at all. It's no. exactly what they're giving him money to do. He knows that. What? Have you ever read Flowers for Algernon? I have not. Nor have I?
0: Flowers for Algernon's a short story uh, about a laboratory mouse called Algernon who undergoes surgery to increase his intelligence. Okay. Um, and then the story's kind of told from the perspective of a guy called Charlie who's the first human subject. Um so this is kind of the VR 90s version of Flowers for Algernon. Oh. So
2: yeah. interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Check you out over there with your literary <laughs> allegories. be. Yeah.
0: Yeah, check it out. But it's run about this point that um Job, uh, now dressed like a cowboy <laughs> As he always dreamed Happens upon um, Marnie at the petrol station This is uh, a scene which troubles me no end Because as far
1: as she knows, he's still the simple gardener Yeah, because at this point it's been kind of impressed on him and us That they are very much keeping what they're doing under wraps Yeah So all these people who have interacted with him for years Have no knowledge of the reasons why you're, like, you're seeing the change in them that you
2: are yeah. But he's just got that swag going on. He's got that tele- that VR, you know, <laughs> internet swag. He's got, he knows something they don't know. He's got access to information. Yeah, that's... He's killing people in a video game. He's in a gyro machine half the time. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing di- can stop this man. And his digital sexiness.
0: But she admires his ass and his new Levi's and uh, pretty much just salivates over him. She says something along the lines as well, like moments before that, this woman is an absolute machine. She says minutes before this to Jake, something like, you could check my fluids whenever you like, and then she's up literally rubbing herself on Job, stroking him, stroking his muscles, stroking his stomach. It's pretty unnerving because as far as she knows, he's the simple gardener.
2: Well, maybe that's what she really wants. She wants some simplicity in her life, you know? Wow. I don't think. She lives in this beautiful house next door. Do we ever see her husband? No, he's dead. Huh? He's dead, right? He's, he's dead, yeah.
0: Yeah, because weirdly, she's constantly eyeing Job up. And um Terry's constantly like, go Job, go, go. And he's kind of always goading him into doing it. And I find that pretty creepy as well.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, remember, this is 1992. Yep. The... Uh, Screenwriters were very limited in their in anyone else besides white men being real characters in films. Uh, so you know, yeah, that's they were a, struggling a little.
1: That's something that I've noticed um, with a couple of films that we watched for the show um, from around this era. I think that you see a lot of that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A, you know,
0: Job also says to Larry roundabout here. Look, I think people are starting to notice me changing. I feel like it's getting harder to hide the fact that I'm, like, clever now. And then Larry's advice to him is just, like, don't draw attention to it. Pretend that you're not.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, again, this is a guy who has a mentally handicapped man and a child strapped into a machine face down with goggles on. So... I think we're done taking his advice at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think, no.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's fair it's, it's fair to assume at this point that he doesn't have anybody else's best interests at heart. I'm just eternally mm-hmm. grateful that Jeff he didn't do an impression of old Job
0: at this point. Oh my god,
1: no. Like sweet. So, oh. His uh I mean this moves this film moves pretty like pretty briskly past the fact that he's uh becoming hyper intelligent and very quickly into him developing both telekinesis and psychic abilities.
2: <laughs> yeah, even the director's cut. It's funny because the film has like a lot of setup. Like it's like forty-five minutes of a movie until we get to this point of the telekinesis and, and psychic abilities. Oh yeah! But at suddenly least. we get there real fast.
1: Yeah, and, it, and it, you're right. It's interesting that the director's cut spends no more time seeding that because it really does feel really instantaneous. and Like you say, kind of like totally at odds with the pacing of the rest of it up to now. Absolutely. I mean, I love when he
2: um, when he squeezes the toothpaste out of the the toothpaste container. Oh, you had a problem I, with that?
1: <laughs> That's such a weirdly gross way to try your, tech, your psychic abilities.
2: I know. I was just thinking about them shooting that over and over again. And like <laughs> how they got to do this gag. They got to get the toothpaste out. They got toothpaste back in. It's in a mirror. So I was just thinking of all the preparation that went into this moment of showing that he could get toothpaste yeah. too. <laughs> It's just psychically come out of a uh, 2 container.
1: Um, it's an interesting choice. Um, speaking of interesting choices, evil symbology. Uh, y- oh, go, actually, yes. That wasn't what I was going to say, but yeah. yes.
0: I noticed um, when Job's strapped into the machine and he's being blasted with information, there's a lot of really kind of satanic demonology kind of
2: s- symbols being blasted into his head. Well, do you think that that is just the nature of the research that? Larry, that Pierce Brosnan was doing, or the research, or that's what Job wanted. Because remember, he grew up in this Catholic, clearly conservative, oh. Catholic, repressed uh, lifestyle. So, you know, sin and Satan and God and Jesus, they all go together in the end, right?
0: I have to believe... So maybe it has to do with that. I have to believe this is uh, programmed into him. I don't feel that Job uh, has the intellect to conjure up these
2: this imagery. So again, maybe it goes back to my theory that Pierce Brosnan wanted this to happen and he was turning them into a killing machine <laughs> to kill the company. And he is, in fact, in cahoots with the devil. M- most definitely. I mean, it doesn't explain how he gets the psych, the, 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 the power, the pyrotechnic powers <laughs> to, and telepathic powers to somehow set things on fire. But clearly, it was some sort of, as you're saying, satanic inspired. Magic that went into him.
0: Yeah, either that, or on a simpler level, it's to illustrate the evil of technology.
2: Yeah, or he just, you know, he found four can and (laughs) read it before
0: it was ever created.
2: Either that, (laughs) or those
0: eight people that were tasked with creating these CG effects had no kind of directorial guidance and were just allowed to do what they wanted. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) <laughs> um <laughs> I am um, I like the theory that this is part of um Pierce Brosnan and Larry's plan. I like that as a theory I like that it ties into this kind of revenge like this revenge plot that you've been kind of cultivating through this conversation. I mean I think it is the case
2: like he doesn't stop at any he he sees the writings on the wall. he sees <laughs> this guy's acting up but he's so excited by it and that's kind of something we deal with right like the side, like like Elon Musk is Elon Musk? Oh. Trying to help us all, or is he really a Bond supervillain trying to take over space? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> he's, he's Hank Scorpio. <laughs> exactly. You know, so that's like, is Pierce Brosnan really just a supervillain? Yeah.
1: I, 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 again, I like this sort of
0: thing. My mind's been blown with all these theories. Let's simplify
1: things um, and jump into my, uh, the, the scene I uh, struggle the most with, I think. Yeah, we can't not talk about this. If we're, uh, I'm assuming that we're heading to the same thing. Uh, so, Marnie and Job have at this point uh, started a sexual relationship. We've seen what I would describe as kind of like a distasteful amount of that. Um, and, that is, and that is before the uh, the, the cyberfuck session that happens. Oh, no, before that, Marnie uses the old uh, lemonade as a precursor to sex tactic.
0: Oh, that, the first instance. Yeah, okay. that, yeah. that classic approach. Um, and then we get... a She basically instructs Job uh, on the the mechanics of sex and sexual congress and teaches him to kiss in a scene which I find repellent. Uh, Yes, this is gross. There is far too much tongue uh, on the go there. And then we get a sex scene where she is clearly riding his leg
2: he's got a big leg what do you want from that
0: (laughs) she says something to that effect when she's rubbing the front of his levi's
2: i mean this film they spared no cliche (laughs) right that's so true yes you know every single the woman next door who's the widow the bad guy at the uh gas station you know all of these things they're just the evil corporation But I think they all, you know, are there to help us easily enter into the high concept of the perils of virtual reality. So I just see her cliche as a uh, way to enter the lovely virtual sex scene that takes place shortly after.
1: Yeah, the virtual sex scene uh, is uh, absolute nightmare fuel, in my opinion.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's so hard to talk about. I rewatched that scene again like we were I was watching the film and I read. I, like, I got to watch this again this is amazing I mean he he like I don't I don't even know it reminded me remember demolition man uh huh uh huh yeah yeah mm-hmm. remember the sex scene they have with the the virtual reality sexy
0: that's right yeah but they they're sitting kind of facing each other with the, those be headsets on
2: yeah this kind of reminded me of that but it was a darker much more uh, evil version but yeah I mean when he turns into like the venus flytrap which strongly represents female genitalia and eats her mind that's what i was in i could i was in jesus. i mean that's all i ever wanted.
1: jesus christ man when you describe it like that that is that's fucking out there yeah but, but that's
2: what it looks like
1: yeah yeah i mean it's, Were, you, you you compared it to the the demogorgon from stranger things yeah totally but, um, yeah, I think that, like, w- right before he does that transformation in that scene it, where he's like, oh, I know what you like and stuff like that. And then that happens. I'm like, whoa, I'm not sure that's what she likes, man. Oh, he says No, <laughs>
2: not at all. But that kind of puts her – doesn't that – it puts her into, like, some, like, Bengalian curse that he now has over her where she just kind of, you know, the next scene after that, she just, like, lying in the, in the bed as this – virtual reality mental slave. Yes, he's, oh, yeah. like, he's,
1: he's like hysterical.
0: He turns why her not? into a gibbering wreck. Like he completely, like, like you said, he eats her mind. And she's just like, she's kind of catatonic and just laughing all the time. The police say later that, you're li- that they're like, we can't get her to stop
2: laughing. She was like found wandering the streets. And then, in just to add, you know, we're going to get a little graphic here, but as he eats her mind, we see him in the Tron latex outfit spinning around, he climaxes himself. He makes these crazy noises and he's like, it's this insane scene. So he's now getting off on uh, the, the mental violence he's causing. This is when I think we really see the change in Job that he's enjoying inflicting this pain on people.
0: Those, those Tron suits are not going to be easy to dry clean. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, he's in a Tron suit for like the rest of the film. Movie, oh, that's even worse. Point. That's disgusting. <laughs> I kind of like the Tron suit. I thought it was like, he's like a, it's almost like Cyberpunk. It's like the movie Firestarter, but in a Tron suit. I,
0: lo- I actually like love the Tron suit, and I
1: think he looks badass as fuck in it.
2: Yeah, me too. I kind of,
1: don- when that happened, I was like,
2: I wish we got here earlier.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, see, um, the scene, uh, like you say, it's straight after this that we see that kind of Marnie's kind of lost it after this. Uh, he has also obviously disregarded the advice to not draw attention to himself because he's standing on the balcony of Marnie's house uh, steering a lawnmower with his brain.
2: <laughs> well, I, I mean, and again, there's no... At this point, we have no real understanding of how he's managed to control technology with his mind and control tubes of toothpaste <laughs> at this point. No. His, most, his most valuable power... <laughs> but he, i love that the lawnmower is like the symbol to him his weapon that he uses because that now it, it kind of takes that turn into the slasher film right oh, yeah definitely so you every good slasher film the villain has their weapon of choice freddy krueger has the hands with the knives you know jason's got his machete so you always got to have your your weapon of choice yeah and Job's and, and job has got big red he's got big red it's what he knows it's what he values it's his best friend it's what he he knows better than anything
0: big red's such a badass lawnmower as well it's got like a v8 engine on it it's like mad max's car
2: yeah and then with the teeth like the teeth that it eats the grass with this is why i'm saying it's a good film they're (laughs) setting this stuff up an hour ago you know they got they're ready they're gonna take you there you just got to go for the ride yeah they do play the long game with some of the setup don't they? i'll say absolutely um, I mean, the director's cut, is a real long game. That movie's over <laughs> two hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like I looked at it and I was like, the director's
1: cut of this is the same length as 12 Years a Slave. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Um, we get a kind of expository uh, kind of inner monologue of uh, Job's here where we kind of get... Um, He kind of seems to blame uh, Larry for the kind of like the negative side effects of this, this kind of mental trauma that he sometimes seems to have. Yeah. And after this, uh, you have a a scene that I think is actually one of the more effective scenes in the film where he has a confrontation with Larry in the lab where you kind of get this um, students become the master thing.
2: Where he tries to sneak up on him from behind. Also, I was trying to figure out what that song was that Job was listening to because it was great. It was like some like good, like early 90s grunge or something yeah <laughs> so, I, was, you know. I was
1: curious about that as well i actually meant to shazam it to see if it was a real song because i'm always curious about this when it's like if somebody goes dark or alternative or goth or anything in a film i'm always curious about what music cues they choose to exemplify
2: that absolutely me too i love that so i actually enjoy that moment but it also shows us that larry is understanding joe because he, he says Job says you tried to sneak up on me and larry says you know i can't sneak up on you
1: yeah, I think that Larry's kind of uh This is the moment where the film kind of hits you with the fact that Larry is aware of the fact that he is now dealing with something that is more powerful than he ever comprehended it would be.
2: Absolutely, he is.
1: And yeah, I think, I think, all, that stuff's, I think all that stuff's pretty well done. I, I think that, yeah, it's one of the more effective moments in there for me.
2: Yeah, and at this point, Larry doesn't even start kind of growing like a, a 12 o'clock shadow. He's now having, you know, kind of going back into a darker place, trying to figure out where he... Stands in all of this and what he's done.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, while all while all this is going on, it's not just the stress I have in Job becoming the most powerful being on earth. There's also the the bureaucratic side of things where he finds out that Virtual Space Industries, oh yeah, have been uh,
2: using the monkey serum on Job. Oh yes, he's very upset again though. I think he knew that was going to happen the whole time.
1: Yeah, see, this is yeah. This ties in with what we were saying earlier. I refuse to believe that that comes as he's been around the block enough times. So he can't be that surprised by that.
2: That's what I'm saying. You, you f- know,
1: I feel the same way. You throw your monkey serum in the bin when your monkey dies. <laughs> as, <laughs> as the old saying goes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Job's all in. He breaks into the lab. He kind of starts hyper-dosing himself with uh, with the serum. At this point, the film's kind of shifting gears into It's kind of hurtling towards the third act at this point. Also, I think that the film is about to hit a stretch that I find extremely disorientating and very confusing.
2: <laughs> you mean when he just suddenly becomes Carrie? Yeah. And,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Job can do everything. Job has every power known to man. But at the same time, there's this weird hunt-and-chase sequence between Larry and the goons or the thugs that worked for V.S.I. Oh, because he knocks the guy out,
2: yeah. Yeah, he's kind of... knocks the guy out and he runs out of the hotel.
0: Yeah, he's pursued by Uzi-toting thugs, uh, all the while Job is just arbitrarily killing people that
1: he's got a bit of a problem with. Um, This Rampage is pretty good, I think.
2: Quite enjoy it. I think so. Oh, Yeah. It's amazing when he burns down the fucking church. I love that scene.
0: You mean when when Father McKenna's uh, engulfed by
2: pixels? Oh, f- Fiery pixels. Yes.
1: Yeah, I, I, I thought this looked like a cross between um, setting him on fire and uh, Thanos's uh, infinity switch from oh, the yeah. Infinity War.
2: Well, good to know that you know CGI has come so far in twenty six years. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, but yeah uh, the the priest is the first to go as we say he's kind of like uh, it's all done in this kind of like very elaborate very theatrical way where he he kind of makes him confess and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. it's all great stuff and then uh, next up is Jake who uh, fittingly seeing as uh, all of the negative stuff we've seen was at the petrol station uh, he gets uh,
2: telekinetically brutalized with a petrol pump (laughs) (laughs) this is my favorite that's my favorite scene in the film the image of the lawnmower Eating away his brain in the virtual world. Um, Yeah, that's
1: that's genuinely really creepy when you see the kind of like yeah the uh, the kind of the face with the lawnmower rotors for teeth uh, going inside his head and mowing his brain as he's tied up by the by the petrol uh, pump. Also, uh, I was gonna say that's the best one, but are you like Punchy Dad? Uh, yeah, but uh, Peter's abusive father from earlier gets us come up into an absolutely spectacular fashion next. This, and uh, Big Red's finest moment as well.
0: Yeah, this is the only scene that's held over from the short story. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever read Stephen King's book Night Shift. Um, oh,
2: wow. Because they only took the title and I, I, I didn't know they actually took any of the film from it.
0: The short story, The Lawnmower Man, in this film could not be more different. For anyone who hasn't read the short story, it's about a guy who hires a gardener. Um, He looks out his window one day and the gardener is naked, following behind the lawnmower, eating the leftovers. And then the only bit that really remains is at the end of the the book, sorry for spoiling it, everybody, but uh, the the protagonist is killed by the lawnmower, it kind of chases
2: him through his house. I love it! It's like, it turns into the shiny almost all of a sudden.
1: could you imagine imagine getting the rights to adapt to Stephen King's story and then uh, only using that scene? Well,
0: he then sued them. Stephen King sued them and they had to take his name off it. Really? Yeah, yeah, yep. So that's why at at, at no point does it say based on a short story by Stephen King. Right. Um, It did originally, but he sued New Line and they removed his name from it. Wow.
2: Oh, wow. Because, I mean, on IMDb it says based on a story by Stephen King, but (laughs) I... uh, it's, I could see why he wanted his name removed from such a film. I mean, he wanted his name removed from the Shining. I'll be honest. Yeah, I no, yeah, yeah, I'll be honest with
0: you. I would rather um, my name be attached to this film than the short story.
1: <laughs> wow. Wow. I,
2: wow. Um, <laughs> well, that says just, a lot. Just
1: putting it out there. Uh, um, I think that this scene <laughs> is great, though. I think that it's considering it's a hunt and chase sequence between a man and a lawnmower. It's really, really well done. <laughs> And uh, I mean, well, the,
2: when the lawnmower smashes through the wall. Yes! It's amazing.
1: It, yeah, and then uh, the way it just kind of like absolutely eviscerates the entire living room. I think
2: it's great. I think the whole thing's it. great. Yeah. Yeah, me too. You know, not to mention that the, the, there's the budding romance going on between, again, bringing back to why Pierce Brosnan's a supervillain, he's starting to have a romance with the, the kid's mo- mother next door. Mm.
0: I don't like the fact that he's used the son as a as a tool to kind of
2: get close to the mother. Yeah, of course. A son that he's been tying up into a machine and, <laughs> and, and, and a imprinting, in yeah, imprinting <sighs> visions on his mind. Oh, my God. This, uh, this, um, uh, this theory about
1: Piers being the villain of the piece is uh, gathering momentum at an alarming rate. I mean, I think
2: it is, you know, I, I, after the rewatch... I I stand by it.
1: Yeah, I think it's fair. Um, Right after this, we see the aftermath, well, kind of the aftermath of uh, the lawnmower attack. This is where we find out that Marnie has has kind of lost it. That's when that's discussed. Kind of openly, that she was wandering the streets naked and couldn't stop laughing and all this kind of thing. Also, Job's kind of standing by, just kind of surveying the aftermath and uses, again, his kind of indiscriminate mind tricks to uh, kind of coerce the police into kind of just treating these like a series of bizarre accidents. Yeah. From this point of the film until the end... I just
0: wanted
2: Job to scanners somebody's head. I know there was never any actual head explosions, but I enjoyed the depixelization of the characters
0: Yeah, where they would yeah. just
2: be, you know, he somehow used digital, right, like, I like I guess, pixels to dissolve your body.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You kind of turn into balls and then just evaporate.
2: Yeah. Well, I think there's a, you know, and this is a bigger story, but I think there's a, uh, a a subtext to this film that maybe we're all living in a simulation and he kind of becomes the sentient being who can understand and control the simulation as if we're all in the Sims. So, you know, (laughs) I think, you know, just I'm extrapolating it. I'm probably wrong, but I think that's why everyone are these pixels that can be, uh, dissolved you know, whatever he does. I
1: mean, I don't know if you're extrapolating that far because it's not too long after this that we kind of get a little bit of evidence that Job has fused the VR with uh, the real world. In this a way. is true.
2: So that is what we get to. Yeah, that we are living in the simulation. There was that great... Oh, man, the Philip K. Dick book about living in a simulation. What was it called?
1: Drawing a blank on that one.
2: Oh, me too. I know. It's such a good book as well. I feel like a... I should have this on the top of my head, but yes, it becomes that, and that's what he creates, and ultimately that's what he controls and uses, you know, to change the world.
1: Yeah, because he because he disintegrates two goons that are kind of descending on him and uh, Larry at one point.
2: I love the word good.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> or what about when the guy shoots his what's his name the oh, the, of the Yeah,
0: yeah. This is the closest you get to a scanner's head
2: explosion. That is the closest you get, where he really loses it. It's also the only time we really see an emotional response from Job during his killing spree. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. He's he's very kind of stoic and kind of stony-faced up until this point. But I guess Terry was really, really his only friend apart from apart from Peter, which comes kind of comes back pretty shortly.
2: Absolutely, Peter the kid is the only other one that you know. Res- he o- he's the only other person that gave him the time of the day before he was uh, Joe. You know that respected him. Yeah. He's only Terry and Peter.
1: Yeah. Um. P- Peter and yeah. Terry and Peter are the only characters in there that don't really seem to be taking advantage of him in some form uh, before he kind of yeah, uh, well, uh, very much before the tide turns. <laughs> uh Job's breach of VSI is pretty entertaining. I think. You mean when he sends digital bees? Yes, when he sends digital <laughs> bees and mosquitoes in there, it's fantastic.
2: <laughs> It's amazing. I mean, that $500,000 BFX budget really was being put to use there. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: I, I, it's, it's the finest moment of that. Well, maybe not. We're maybe getting to the finest moment of uh, CGI. I'm sorry. The finest moment of CGI peaked at the
2: digital sex. <laughs> I agree. There was nothing better. I mean, again, the... The vagina fly trap that eats her mind is crazy. That's I can't that, get ever get over that.
1: That that is that's a, a crazy effect, but that's also just in service to a crazy thing. And as, <laughs> and as far as I'm aware, it's my understanding that
0: um, kind of porn and stuff kind of lead the way in technology sometimes with the things that they're willing to do. As far as I know, you can of get virtual reality porn. So this film
2: leading the way, leading the way, and still is. I think there was a lot of people who took this film seriously when it came out as a kind of prophetic lo- uh, look at the future of our relationship to virtual reality. Yeah. And while the effects are not good, I think, yes, we, we do participate in very similar acts as the movies. V- v- VR's...
0: I, I remember a time when used to... when. There was talk of these big VR headsets that would kind of clamp onto your head, and you could buy them for like five grand. They didn't work with anything; like there was no, there was no like support for any tech stuff or anything with it. But this was going to be the future. One day we'd all be sitting in our living rooms, like not to use another uh, Power Rangers uh, reference, but like Alpha Five, like just watching stuff beamed right into our eyeballs. And it's only now that that's kind of possible, but no
2: one really uses it absolutely you know it we but we just i think you know where there was you know like two the last two years was this big kind of push for vr i think it's in a downside now but yeah it'll come back you know yeah, people I've, will the porn industry will make it you know make it important yeah that's that's that's
1: vr's best route back into the mainstream consciousness i think good old porn. Saving the, the day. <laughs> We're pulling in quite hard towards the kind of final standoff here, and I think it's worth mentioning to anyone because this—I think—if you don't get this clear and down, it's going to be really confusing for anyone yeah. that's listened that hasn't seen uh, this. Because it seems like Joe basically thinks that his kind of to reach his final form, he needs to kind of infiltrate the mainframe of the computer of VSI, which is why he's kind of broken in there. Mm-hmm. So uh, Larry's followed him. And kind of very savvily kind of traps him in it by kind of... Hacking it. Hacking it. Okay, yeah. What you see of uh, Job when he's actually inside the mainframe is spectacularly creepy, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like the weird stretched Jeff Fahey face on that kind of computer model, that kind of ergonome
2: that's in there. I love the scene. The battle in the mind is great. He's like, you know, Pierce Brosnan's like the Silver Surfer all of a sudden, and Job <laughs> is this crazy, like, skinny body with this weird stretched face. Again, Jeff Fahey's face. I mean, I think Jeff Fahey's career is amazing. Wider, yeah.
0: yeah. I think yeah. he's, I think he's brilliant. Uh, I think he's made some mad choices at times. Uh, Perhaps none more none more mad than this. But I think I think he's great in this. Um, kind of across the pace, really. Apart from the early running where it's a little bit problematic looking at it now. But, yeah, I think he's brilliant. And uh, just, well, fuck. What about when he gets all sucked out? Like when his essence is sucked out and he's just like
2: a, like a weird husk. Like a husk, yeah. When the man, when the machine takes his soul, I love it. <laughs> and he becomes just skinny, skinny. We see a lot of incarnations of Jeff Faden. We see simple Jeff Fahey with the eyeliner looking like a doll. We see buff Jeff Fahey. He's also sweaty. Yeah, very sweaty. We see a lot of sweat budget might have been as much as the BFX budget. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We see sexy Jeff Fahey. We see violent Jeff Fahey. We see BDSM latex Tron (laughs) Jeff Fahey. We see virtual amalgamation Jeff Fahey. And then we finally see... Jeff say he's soul sucked out of him as it enters the machine for the rest of eternity.
1: Um, and Larry kind of, as you said, Larry kind of ventures in behind him. He does. Um, for kind of a final standoff, as it were. And a uh, crazy moment in here. The, the Digi Crucifixion. Yeah, that that sounds like a Fear Factory
2: album. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the themes coming back of the whole film. I mean, J- doesn't Job call himself like the Digital Christ at one point or something, or Ugh. Cyber Christ?
1: <laughs> Jesus, I think it's I think it's it's a really weird dialogue choice when he's desperate to get out and he says that he uh, he wants to get out because he has things to do, people to see, and a billion calls to make. <laughs> <laughs> it's like right, I. sounds like like an it consultant
2: that's coming back from a two-week holiday (laughs) but he does have calls to make at like at the end of the film he does yeah he does uh
1: yeah and we're closing in on that larry kind of appeals to the last vestiges of job's uh, humanity by basically saying oh um peter's in danger if you don't let me out of here Then, you know, Peter's going to die Peter's going to suffer, kind of thing
0: Peter's in danger because Larry set I don't know what C3 is I don't know if it's better or worse than C4 But, like, he set some C3 charges Around the the computer terminal And that little little moron, Peter Decides, I'm going to just go in and see what's happening So Peter puts himself in danger Larry puts Peter in danger by setting explosives Job's doing nothing wrong
2: (laughs) Again, Larry is the villain (laughs) And I think he just wants... He's like the Joker. He just wants to see the world burn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this uh, Larry's plan here ultimately works. He uh, he he escapes, and uh, he escapes with Peter and blows the villain up. Because at his heart, Job is still the
0: lovely guy he always was. He's just been twisted. Now I've come round to Austin's
2: way of thinking. He's just been twisted by Larry's evil. And what does Larry get at the end of the film? What does Larry get that no one else, that, that job doesn't have, no one has? A family, he gets family. He takes the mom from next door, that Job killed her husband, so he got rid of him easy. and he gets a son that he's been tying up to a machine, yeah, you know, in a basement. But also, I mean, he has
1: an avenue to successfully go back underground with his work professionally. I mean, obviously, he's kind of he's going to have to be a little bit more careful keeping it away from prying eyes. But there's no real professional consequences, despite the fact that he's just blown up his place of work.
2: Oh, not at all. Are you kidding me? He's going to get as many military contracts as he can and just create a world full of jobs. I think he's just upset that Job's name wasn't Larry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) By the way, that line about taking your work back underground was sampled by the prodigy.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Oh, well, really? That, that exact dialogue.
0: I sampled on the on the title track from "Music for the
1: Jilted Generation." That's a fact. Oh, I love you that go. album. You're dropping some serious trivia bombs tonight. I'm all over yeah, it. Yeah, that's amazing. Got it, Got it covered. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're pretty much there at this point. I mean, like you say, I mean, he's the getaway. the The building's blown up. Larry gets the family that he was driving at, as you say, nobody else gets that. <laughs> gets basically a consequence-free return to his extremely lucrative career. And uh, as they're heading out. You get the, the the new family as they're heading out. Your kind of final stinger, as you said, Orson, is every single landline in the world rings at once and we cut to black.
0: I think that's amazing because Job tells him that his rebirth into the world will be marked by all the phones in the world ringing at the one time. And uh, to have it come back and actually end like that, I think's amazing.
2: He's become Cyber Christ. I love it.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think if, if you're going to do something like that, like a stinger to set it up for a potential sequel, which obviously happened in the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that doing it in a way that calls back so sure Italy is really fucking cool.
2: I agree. And I haven't seen the sequel, but what I understand of it is it's about like a a, a cyber, a virtual reality fight ring, basically. Like Goblin. <laughs> yes. That Joe, that Joe challenges people to. So we might need to talk about that film.
0: Yeah, I mean, Job this time not played by Jeff Fahey, uh, Matt Thruer takes over for him. Okay. Who's all, Matt Thruer's great as well, but he's just, he's not quite
1: Jeff Fahey.
2: Well, Jeff Fahey had things to do, you know, he sure. became famous. Sorry, yeah, yeah,
0: of course, of
1: um, course. I would be quite up for um, getting you back on in maybe three, four months' time, and we just do a bonus episode where we've all just taken the time in the interim to uh, watch Lawnmower Man 2 and then just discuss it. Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, before
0: we go down that road, it's worth mentioning that while Lawnmower Man has 5.4 out of 10 on IMDb and 34% on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah, Lawnmower Man Two: Beyond Cyberspace has 2.4 out of 10 on IMDb mm-hmm. and 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. So we're already looking at dangerous territory there. This emboldens me to see it more.
2: <laughs> yeah, when I hear numbers like that, I hear that it's. I think it's probably a good film.
1: It's certainly something that I want to see. Um, but at this point, yeah, I mean, we're done and Orson, this was uh, this was some pick and it's one of those ones that I've kind of like, I've been aware of its existence for a really long time and it's just, it's just something that I've never made time for. On the first watch, I, uh, I like enjoyed the setup and I kind of liked how it built and then I think that kind of a, just around, maybe either side of the kind of rampage, uh it ladles on revelations and very and a series of kind of confrontations that feel very rushed and very arbitrary. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was in danger of losing me completely. Um but the kind of final standoff in VSI in the mainframe is so entertaining that I think it pulls it back almost completely
2: at that point. I mean I agree, you know, every every great piece of art has its flaws. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andy. Yeah. Anything
0: to add? I think the, the build-up is excellent. It doesn't rush it. Um, it takes its time. It lets it kind of percolate and simmer. Um, and then the third act hits and it loses its fucking mind um, in a way that almost derails it, I think. Yeah. Almost derails it because there's just so much madness and so much nonsense going on. In the, and I would say in about a 15-minute window, so much stuff happens that it's pretty difficult to keep track of. But then, like you say, the minute they get back to VSI and Job's absorbed into the, into the machine, the ship kind of writes itself
2: again in a way that I find really satisfying. I agree. I think, you know, I, I don't mind the slow moments in this film because I think they give us the time to examine, again, the villainous nature of your Frost.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See, now, now that I... Because I'm, I'm completely sold on that. Like I, I'm just installing that as the truth. Now, that he's the villain of the piece. And that's actually, that's emboldened me to rewatch it in a way that I maybe wouldn't have before. Watching it it from that perspective from the beginning, I think would be kind of illuminating.
0: By the way, just further adding to um, how insane and villainous Pierce Brosnan is, I've just remembered that the first time we see him, he is lying in bed asleep watching what appears to be war footage. Wow.
2: I'd have to recheck that. That's a great point in detail. Fuck no. Who goes to sleep watching war footage? Yeah, like who's lulled to sleep by that? <laughs> I mean, trust me, I watch some fucked up shit before I go to bed. Yeah, I don't watch too. war footage. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch like irreversible before going to sleep, yeah. but I'm not watching war footage. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, Orson, this was uh, like I said, this was a really good pick. I'm really glad I've seen this. Yeah, um, I'm, I, I, I really like Trevas in this.
2: <laughs> me too.
1: Orson, uh, before we stop, uh, I want to take a sec to talk about um, uh, a couple of things of your own. Basically, the reason that um, the reason that we kind of I came across your work was I was at Fright Fest this year, and um, I was there for the screening of Hell Where the Home Is.
2: That was awesome. I uh, yeah, I, just, I mean that was our world premiere at Fright Fest of it, and I'm happy you were there in the big theatre to watch it. <laughs> I
1: mean, I, I mean, I, I absolutely love the film. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about it for anyone that might not have seen it, things like that?
2: It's a home invasion thriller, and it stars Feruza Bulg, Angela Trimbor, Janelle Parrish, uh, Carlo Rota, Jonathan Howard, and Zach Avery. And it's about two couples going away on an Airbnb vacation in the middle of the desert to uh, you know, deal with some inner turmoil, and all fucking hell breaks loose. It really <laughs> and, uh, does. <laughs> yeah. I had a really fun time making that film. Uh, I'm proud of it.
1: Yeah, and uh, you should be, man. Is there any um? Is there any word on when it's going to see a release over here at all?
2: Uh, we're you know we're we're finding that out now, but it would look like, uh, you know, maybe end of the summer, twenty nineteen. Cool, sweet, so excellent. That, that's what we're looking at, but I can't wait to unleash it on the world. That moment in, and I'm not going to give anything away, but that moment at Fright Fest when something happens to someone, <laughs> an accident <laughs> takes place. And the whole place jumped up is the crowning moment of my creative life. Um,
1: I, yeah, speaking of somebody who was in the room for that, I was I was one of the people who gasped and one of the people who recoiled at that. And um, <laughs> I think it was one of those things as well where um, I think the lineup this year in general at the festival was really strong. But I'd seen a lot of stuff that we can so far, which had been entertaining, but kind of light. And I was going in, because I think, I'm pretty sure it was the first screening one day, wasn't it, in the main screen? It
2: was at 11 a.m. 11 yeah. a.m.,
1: yeah. And I remember coming in, and pretty early on, maybe when that hit, I was like, oh, this is going to get nasty. And I kind of felt like that's what I'd been kind of
2: holding out for. Like, I Well, felt- I'm happy that I delivered with the violence, because <laughs> I aim to.
1: Yeah. But no, it's, uh, it's, uh, I think it's a great film, man. Is there anything else uh, that you're working on or have worked on that you'd like to take a sec to talk about?
2: Yeah, I got my film, The Queen of Hollywood Boulevard. We don't have international distribution, but it's uh, been playing theaters in America. They're actually re-releasing it in theaters in February. Cool, and that's out on iTunes and Amazon. And that was made with my mom as the star, and, <laughs> and you know that's another crazy film. We had um, it's got a bunch, it's got it's the last uh, performance of Michael Parks. Oh uh, right, quite right. in Tarantino's movies, yeah. Kill Bill one and two, and um, also Tusk and Red State. Okay. And Dusk Dawn. So, you know, it was an honor to work with him. And uh, sadly, it was his last yeah, film. That's amazing. And I'm actually beginning to shoot a new film in two weeks, which is not a horror film. Okay. It's a crime drama and thriller about a man who gets out of prison and tries to – has a dream of opening a restaurant, and he comes face-to-face with the perils of contemporary society. It is violent, and it does have psychological – horrific moments to it but it's not a horror film per se Cool. so it's interesting to get out of trying new genre uh right now it's called the five rules of success
1: five rules of success okay cool i like that that's subject to change <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. um orson uh thanks a lot for taking the time to do this with us is there anywhere on social media anything like that people can keep up with you
2: yeah if you say my instagram is at orson manchild <laughs> my twitter is <laughs> is orsonowitz and then you can follow uh we have is where the home is um full on twitter and on instagram you can follow uh, the queen of hollywood boulevard as well so cool. search him we're around we aim to please <laughs> amazing thank um, you guys so much for having me on this has been super fun by the way i love this stuff
0: oh thanks man <laughs> thank you for doing it thanks for coming on and doing it obviously uh yeah you're a uh, away the other side of the world, so these things can take a wee bit of organisation. But uh, yeah, thanks.
2: It's a pleasure. Thank you. I'm down to come on any
1: So quite possibly never before, after a conversation about a film for this show, has my opinion on a main character, and therefore my perspective on the whole story, been so aggressively flipped as right now. Yeah, I feel terrible for Job, uh-huh. and with the
0: benefit of hindsight, I am bereft at the loss of Roscoe 1138.
1: Much like Larry was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah. lord! But no, a big thank you to Orson Oblowicz uh, coming on Talking the Lawnmower Man with us and blowing our minds. Yeah, and uh, let's uh, let's get the wheels moving on the Lawnmower Man Two Beyond Cyberspace episode. Yeah, that's happening. By the way, <laughs> I mean, uh, you that, better believe it. That was not a throwaway comment. I want to do that very, very much. <laughs> um, and yeah, just I cannot stress enough how much I like Dawson's film. Uh, Hell's yeah. for the Home Is. Very much looking forward to that coming out end of summer, if uh, if that all goes to plan. Looking forward to uh, forcing that on many people, yourself included. Oh, good, yeah. (laughs) And uh, yeah, looking forward to also checking out uh, Queen of Hollywood Boulevards. Yes, indeed, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. A lot of great stuff. I'd love to make a film
0: with my mum, but I think we would wind up killing each other um, long before production
1: wrapped. And uh, that would become the story. Perhaps, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But... done for another one
0: yeah god yeah that's that down
1: yeah a big thank you to everybody for joining us tonight it's been a fun one as usual yes indeed and
0: cannonball on our
1: way into february yeah, and we've got some big plans for February actually yeah. um, A lot of good stuff up and coming And we'll be revealing the kind of first little bits of that on Monday Yep, and a film that I can't wait to do is coming up in February <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be Feel free to speculate on what that might be But yeah, we'll be back on Monday at 8 We'll be doing all the usual stuff We'll be talking about what we've been watching We'll be taking a look at my progress Or lack thereof through the shortwave <laughs> 100 uh, Taking a look at your feedback And of course, more Mitch's pitches. <laughs> it sure is so, uh, join us then if you can. In the meantime, loads of ways to get in touch. Yes, and uh, please do. Yeah, we yeah. I mean, we've had a really good uh, hot streak of people getting in touch and also just saying really funny stuff. So, more of that, please. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at StrongViolentPC. Or if you've got some longer thoughts, you can get in touch on strong language, violent scenes at gmail.com. Yep, and I'm just going to throw some things at you right now, Mitch. Are you ready?
0: Okay. iTunes. Yep. Spotify. Uh-huh. Uh, Stitcher. I've heard of those. uh, Podbean. Mm -hmm. uh, They're they're a good one. Acast. (laughs) TuneIn. The the list goes on and on, Mitch. Basically what I'm saying is we're just about everywhere that you can listen to podcasts. We sure
1: are. And you know what all of those things also have in common? I, I don't. They all have platforms and their own methods where users can show their appreciation for podcasts that they're listening to.
0: Yeah, and whether that's liking whether that's like clicking on a little love heart whether subscribe.
1: that's subscribing which is crucial mm-hmm. whether
0: that's leaving a review yeah I'm um, granted that takes a little bit longer than just pressing a button but we would love to read them
1: yeah we would just go and do it really, yeah basically is what stuff. we're saying just Any go and do stuff. it yeah, yeah yeah now that would be great and uh but yeah we're everywhere now please do more to the point keep liking keep sharing keep commenting but most of all keep listening yeah so we're back Monday, join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.